นโมทัสสะภะวะโตอะระหะโตสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะนโมทัสสะภะวะโตอะระหะโตสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะนโมทัสสะภะวะโตอะระหะโตสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะพุทธังธรรมังสังฆังนามะสังฉันก็จะตอบคำถามนี้ไปที่ประธานาธิบดีของพรรคเพื่อสังคมนี้ไม่ต้องการให้เกิดความผิดพลาดและไม่ต้องการให้เกิดความผิด However, guilt and deep regret live on, always ready to jump in. I know that it could be said that you did the best you could with the tools you had at the time, and all manner of such pleasantries. But what if you truly know you didn't do your best, and it wasn't okay, and it wasn't the best you could do or be, and you hurt someone with your actions? Whenever the memory comes back, the feeling is not good. Then how do you let it really go? Not let it go by bearing it, by trying to push it aside. Really let it go. Can we, or do we perhaps have to leave it with the acceptance that this always just have to be? So the question is focusing on regret, remorse, guilt. However, I think we probably can extrapolate to how to deal with all sorts of intensely negative, painful perceptions, feelings, mm. and something I've learnt over the years when it comes to approaching such deep. Difficulties. It's wise to check to see if we are, in some way, still just trying to get rid of it. Now I know the the questioner asks carefully their question. However, I think we should always begin with checking to see if there are any sneaky. Inclinations to find another strategy to get rid of the suffering, because we're not going to get rid of our suffering until we've fully received it. So, the way I tend to approach such concerns is: is there a way of finding the freedom to suffer rather than the freedom from suffering? Can we be free to feel the suffering rather than freedom from the suffering? And just putting that suggestion to ourselves helps us perhaps feel our approach more consciously, a little bit more clarity.
Because any impulse we have, any desire we have to get rid of our suffering is going to feed the pain. We all know about the, what the Buddha had to say about Vibhava Tanha, the craving to get rid of. So if we start from that place, checking in all honesty, are we just trying to find another strategy to get rid of the suffering, or are we interested in finding out how to really be with it, how to be free and feel whatever we're feeling at the same time. When it comes to guilt and remorse and regret, there's obviously, as we would all know, a direct connection between how we conduct ourselves and, and also how we've been taught. I sometimes... Well, I often actually think about how wonderful it would be if in, it could be incorporated in our education system, a training and understanding the function of, or the place of integrity, like the psychology of integrity. You don't have to teach Buddhism in schools. And, uh, it's just the psychology of integrity. I wouldn't be surprised if in a few years' time, when people went for a job interview, they were tested for their IQ, but IQ stood for integrity quotient, not intelligence quotient. Because when there's a lack of integrity, then there's a stress introduced into our hearts and minds. We're not as functional as we could be. We don't operate as well as we could. So looking back at our own lives and in terms of not giving ourselves a, an out for the heedless things that we've done, but also not missing out on the fact that most of us didn't really get educated in a skillful way with regards to the value of sila. We see that the stylized Buddha is sitting on the stylized lotus and the lotus being the symbol for sila, that which is beautiful even though it grows up out of the swamp, the heart that is inclined towards awakening is based on impeccability. And so remembering that, when we start to contemplate how do we deal with this kind of a pain that we haven't necessarily really been that well equipped. We could have been a lot better equipped with understanding. I know the, the person asking this question comments on how they, they could have known better. Yes, we could have all known better. However, we do, a lot of us start out in life with a very distorted understanding of what is right and what is wrong. It's not necessarily based on wisdom. And then also, do we really understand the difference between remorse and regret and guilt? Remember that conversation that the Venerable Ananda and the, the Buddha had where Venerable Ananda was asking the Buddha, what is the place of sila in this training? And the Buddha's reply was, it leads to freedom from remorse. Now, did we really get taught that? Did we really get 
taught that in theory and in practice and example in our early life, impeccability. It's, uh, these days it's terribly unfortunate to see the degree to which people believe everybody lies as if somehow lying is inconsequential. When we lie, we actually create a fracture in our consciousness. We create a tension. We create a stress. We, may, we turn ourselves into somebody that we can't trust. We live with ourselves all the time, and yet we're living with somebody who we can't trust, and that's really regrettable. That's the natural consequence of lying. Just as if you know somebody else lies and you, you don't feel so good towards them, well, likewise, when we lie, even small lies, not to mention big lies, creates a stress that we have to live with. Since people, so many people think that it's okay, and we think that we end up thinking that it's okay, but it's not actually okay. There are direct consequences. So, so we don't necessarily see the direct consequences. It's not easy, it's not straightforward to see the direct consequences of of a lack of impeccability. Not just lying, but also taking things that we're not entitled to. And so regret should be seen and remorse should be seen actually as an appropriate form of pain, whereas guilt needs to be seen as unhelpful, toxic. Remorse and regret are the kind of pain that we can learn from. Like, just as if you're walking along with bare feet and you kick a rock and you don't feel any pain, there could be a, an injury there and you don't feel any pain so you don't look at it, so it can be an infection and there can be serious consequences. Um, so pain is really, that kind of pain is a message saying pay attention here. Remorse, when we've done something unskillful, when we've been unkind, when we've been dishonest, when we've been lazy, remorse really is a heart pain that is serving our well-being. It's a heart pain that's saying pay attention here. There's something to learn from here. The fact that in our society, generally speaking, we the state of happiness is held up as some sort of an indicator of our, our, our worth, we tend to view pain negatively. And of course, we don't like pain, but really pain is the message. Whenever we feel pain, we need to be looking at it. And hence, we have the Buddha's teachings. The Buddha's, I, I teach two things. I teach suffering and the end of suffering. Or it's through not seeing two things that you stay stuck in this unfortunate situation of unawareness, not seeing suffering, not seeing the cause of suffering. So you notice, in, at least in Theravadan Buddhist practice, there's not a, an exaggerated amount of speculation about the state of awakening. The Buddha did say it was possible and did refer to, to that. However, the emphasis is on paying attention to suffering, because that's what we have. And if we're always turning away from it, which we mostly habitually are, then we suffer what is classically called ignorance. We're ignoring the reality, we're ignoring the message. Reality is giving us the message. There's something that needs to be looked at here. 
So if we do something unskillful, unkind, unhelpful, intentionally harmful, we're supposed to feel remorse. We're supposed to feel regret. However, when we view that without right understanding, when we view that pain without wisdom, when we are still caught up in clinging all the time, and we make that my pain, then it distorts it. That's why the teachings are such a strong emphasis on not clinging, on letting go. When we cling to that pain, it turns into, easily turns into self-hatred. I am bad because I did something bad. Yes, we all do bad things. We all make mistakes. But does that make me bad? That's the impression that I have when I cling to such pain. And then if you have a culture which conditions us with ideas about the Almighty, the Almighty dominant religion in this culture throws bad people into hell. And that certainly looks like an act of hatred. So we easily get very distorted stories about how to deal with the pain, the natural, healthy, helpful pain of remorse. Remorse needs to be welcomed. When we've made a mistake, we need to stop and really register it. Really register this is the healing. This is the healing. Say it, really say it. Regret and remorse. This is the healing. In other words, we're re-educating ourselves. Instead of seeing that pain as an indictment against us, with some sort of a failure because we're not happy, well, we're not supposed to be happy. If we've just done something intentionally hurtful or harmful and we're happy, then there's something really wrong. We've done something intentionally hurtful or harmful, we're... We're not supposed to be happy. We're supposed to be feeling the consequence of that, which is remorse or regret. So we re-educate ourselves. This is the healing. And if it does go into, into guilt, which is really unfortunate, but we can certainly pick that up from the culture that we're in, then we need to also look at that and say, all right, that's something else. We were hating ourselves for having been bad. No, that's not it. Remember, Dhammapada, verse 5, never by hatred is hatred conquered, but by readiness to love alone. This is eternal law. The Buddha didn't just make that up. The Buddha wasn't just saying something to make us feel good. He said, this is eternal law. Never by hatred is hatred conquered, but by readiness to love alone. This is eternal law. So when we make mistakes, we're not talking about complimenting ourselves for being stupid. But we're also definitely not talking about hating ourselves. If we are hating ourselves, then there's some disease that we've picked up. And it is also helpful and important, I would suggest, to consider that we do pick this up from the culture around us. We interject, if that's a proper word. I don't know yet if that is a proper word. I've been using it a bit lately. The opposite of projecting. Instead of projecting something outwards, interjecting where we internalise, we pick something up. Like of the stories we're being told, like we're born as damaged goods, or those around us are condemning us and somehow appearing to make it virtuous to be condemning. Then we absorb, we easily, certainly small children, absorb, even 
completely in unawareness. They don't realize what they're picking up from the culture around them, from their parents. We don't realize what we picked up from the culture we lived in and from our parents. And perhaps our parents didn't even realize what they were carrying and what they were spreading around. Small bodily gestures, inflictions of the voice uh, that have been basically tinged with judgment. Somehow it's virtuous to hate those who are bad. And if we do interject that, and then we think that it's virtuous to hate ourselves for being bad, that's a terrible mistake. That's certainly not going to help. So if we see that, what do we do? Well, we remember the encouragement to no judging the judging mind. If we're judging ourselves, what do we do? Do we judge it? So I shouldn't be judging? Well, that's, that's too simplistic. Remember, no judging the judging mind. We're not under any obligation to be taking a position against ourselves. We're not under an obligation to take a position for ourselves. When we do well, when we do something wholesome, when we're successful, when we see progress and we feel good about it, that's fine. We simply let it feel good. Let feeling good feel good. But we try not to get lost in it. We remember what we were just chanting tonight, the Dhamma Chakra Bhavatana Sutta, the middle way, that perspective that just sees taking sides, sees the tendency to move towards following that side or following this side, following the impulse to feel good about ourselves, following the impulse to hate ourselves. Both impulses, the Buddha pointed out, are a dead end, unskillful, unhelpful, to be avoided. Again, this is not a belief system. This is something that we're encouraged to stop and consider and really look into, feel into. When we're feeling good about ourselves, can we simply feel good? Or is there that extra thing that we do where we are taking sides with ourselves? Can we feel that? Can we see that? Can we sense that? Because if we don't, if we're just lost in taking sides for ourselves when we're doing well, then we will get lost in taking sides against ourselves when we're not doing so well, when we make mistakes. So looking at the tendency to take sides, looking at considering the possibility that some of this guilt that we're carrying, this toxic, distorted form of remorse, is maybe something that we've just picked up along the way. Trying to not just assume that because I feel bad that I am bad. And if we do have that perception, then counter it again. And I can remember times when I just walked around just saying it literally, just because I feel bad does not mean I am bad. Just because I feel bad does not mean I am bad. And my own upbringing, the conditioning I went through in my early life, an evangelical Christian family, even somewhat fundamentalist Christian family, there's a very strong conditioning that you're born in sin, that you're damaged goods from the beginning. If we don't stop to investigate that, we can live our whole lives either completely believing it or struggling to deny it. And if we deny that perception, if we've been conditioned to believe that and we deny it, then it gets very tricky. Very, very tricky. Much of my life, I've lived with 
a perception of being accompanied by two grotesque bullies. One bully is called guilt, the other bully is called self-doubt. Because when guilt, which is so irrational, so unreasonable and so unfair, is denied, is pushed into unawareness, then you start doubting yourself. Guilt is a form of, as I was saying before, hating ourselves for having been bad. We've been taught that God, the Almighty, casts sinners into hell. And so if we want to make ourselves feel good, if we want to make ourselves right, we can, we can play God and condemn ourselves in a distorted effort to somehow feel good. Now it's illogical and irrational, and so maybe we decide that it's a bad idea, and then we just deny it. But if the conditioning is there and we deny it, then it become very distorted. And that's where it can give rise, easily give rise to self-doubt. We question everything. Even if we're making a little bit of progress with untangling this guilt knot, even every time a, a guilt bomb goes off, we're not totally shocked by it. We've got some readiness for it. We very quickly can fall into self-doubt, questioning our motivation. And where does that come from? Well, as I was saying, it comes from unreceived pain, unreceived, unacknowledged, misunderstood guilt. The conditioning was there, the programming was there, and yet we didn't understand it, we didn't see it in perspective, we didn't really, really live through it and let go of it, so it's stored away in our system, and, and then it can turn really toxic and really distorted. So keeping an eye out, uh, if you somebody who suffers from obsessive guilt, then also keep an eye out for uh, obsessive doubt. And consider that maybe these are things that we picked up very early on in life. It's not necessarily the case that we are as bad as we think we are. People around us who we expected to be looking after us, if they're carrying a, a burden of guilt and self-doubt with them, and we're depending on them, it's, it's quite understandable if we pick up some of their unreceived life and carry it around with us. So if we find ourselves in our spiritual, moving along the spiritual journey and encountering this obstruction over and over again, sooner or later we do get to the point where this questioner is at now, wanting to find the reality of guilt. So we can contemplate it along the lines I've been mentioning about where it came from, the difference between obsessive guilt and healthy and helpful remorse and regret. And yet still, when we're stuck with this obsessive, reoccurring, unreasonable pain, how do we deal with it? How do we meet it? Recently I was mentioning again how in my own practice I've summarised down you know, what in the tradition and in the scriptures it talks about lots of different skillful means for dealing with obstructions that we come across uh, on this journey. 
whatever the books say about it in terms of practice, and at least in my mind, there's, there's three approaches which we would be wise to commit to memory, to intentionally become aware of. The first is the, what I call cutting through. The second one is seeing through, and the third is burning through. Cutting, seeing, burning. Burning, seeing, cutting. Cutting, seeing, burning. Burning, seeing, cutting. Backwards and forwards. Familiarizing ourselves with these. You know. And cutting through, as I said before, is just that, that inclination, that approach whereby we just say, no, I'm not talking with you right now. I'm not dealing with you. No, you're not getting my attention right now. And if it works, that's great. In the case of dealing with obsessive guilt, as this question is asking, it's almost certainly cutting through, saying no, is, is not working. So maybe it's studying, not desperately holding on to our meditation object and, and refusing to look at it, refusing to look at it, saying no to it, I'm not going to give you any attention. It's so obsessive and so persistent. We say, okay, right, let go of a meditation object and look at it. Also, letting go, if we're trying to counter it, you know, like cultivating so much loving kindness, it's just, may all guilt-ridden beings be happy. May all beings who feel guilty be happy. And if it's working, that's great. If it doesn't work, we let go of that particular approach and say, okay, what's going on here? What is it? And we literally talk to it. We literally talk to the pain. And in the beginning, it might feel strange to do so, but so long as we've got enough mindfulness and restraint and we can have a conversation with it. I do. I, many times over my life, I, when I've been faced with serious obstructions, I bow down in front of the shrine and I, I literally talk to the pain. Say, Please teach me what I need to learn. I'm hanging on to something here. Please teach me what I need to learn. And just as if we, for instance, had some falling out with somebody and we refused to talk to them well, it's unlikely that we're going to reach any sort of rapprochement or reconciliation. It's only when we decide to meet the person and sit down and talk it through that there's a possibility of reconciliation. Well, likewise with those aspects of our own being that we've demonized. and Yes, we did it out of unawareness, so there's no point in judging ourselves. That doesn't help. So we get to know it. Ajahn Chai used to give the example of sitting in a cafe and you know, most of the people in the cafe, you, you know them, you've seen them, they've been there before, so you just go, mm, mm, nod your head and greet them. And then from time to time there's those that come in that you've not seen before, you don't know them. And so you start to wonder, who's that? So you strike up a conversation, get to know them. So obviously these persistent forms of pain, guilt or indignation or rage, whatever it is that obstructs us. If it's persistent, that means we haven't gotten to know it yet. It doesn't mean to say that we're bad, it just means we haven't gotten to know it yet. So we choose this approach, the approach of seeing through. We study it, we talk to it. We remember our in-the-body practice, whole-body-mind, if we're caught up in our heads and thinking about 
you know, theories, psychological theories or spiritual theories about how to handle anger or how to overcome dukkha and how to overcome obstacles, that risks making the condition worse. need to come back into the body, feel our feet on the ground, feel our back straight, be aware of the body breathing, maybe take time to take a slow, deep in-breath and an even slower, deep, longer out-breath, maybe even half a dozen of those. So, all right, back in the body again. Oh, yeah, right. We're not just a head here dealing with this thing. Because the pain of guilt or the pain of indignation doesn't just, it's not just a conceptual disruption. It's fire, it's heat, it's restless. So when we're studying it, with the intention to find a way of seeing through it, we tried cutting through it, that didn't work. So we're interested in seeing through it, then we need to remember to be very present in the body. Wherever the pain manifests, is it in our guts? Is it in our solar plexus? Is it in our chest? And does it make the heart race? Does it make the skin sweat? Feeling the pain with the intention of studying it. And if we are still compulsively judging it, then we need to pull back and check that out. Judging, we call it by its name, judging. No, I do not have to judge, so we just call it by its name, judging mind. Judging myself for feeling guilty. Judging myself for feeling bad feels like this. No judging the judging mind. Work on that level until maybe our awareness is purified just a little bit more. We can open up and receive it just a little bit more until we start to feel we've got a handle on it. Or if that just doesn't work, well then yes, as the asker of this question suggests, patient endurance also has its place. And patient endurance is not a soft option. I keep saying that because we we tend to use the word patience in, in in some sort of dismissive way, as if it's some sort of a second rate option. Patient endurance, as the Buddha said, paramangtapotitika is the ultimate purifier. So yes, patient endurance, gently, gently bearing with. Just like if, you know, a, a, a child is, is really, really upset about something and throwing a, a temper tantrum, and there's no way you can have a reasoned conversation with them. They're really hurt, desperately upset. You just care for them. You just be there with them until they find themselves again. And then you can come back to having a conversation. Also it is with dealing with something like this kind of obsessive pain, obsessive guilt. We're not talking about helpful healing remorse. We're talking about some toxic, distorted form of self-hatred and the fear that goes with that. We hate ourselves in an attempt to somehow make ourselves feel right and good again and then we're desperately afraid of the consequences. I'm going to live in this hell forever. And that is a story that in our culture is put around. Eternal hell. We condemn ourselves to hell 
and then we're afraid we're going to be there for eternity. That's really sad. That's really a really tragic story to program anybody with, any living being with. So familiarizing ourselves with these modes of approaching these real doozies, these real tough numbers, cutting through, seeing through, burning through. Maybe we have to start with burning through and then work backwards. Maybe we've got such a backlog of unreceived guilt, unreceived pain, that we start off with, okay, I'm just going to put up with this. But I'm going to put up with it in a constructive way, in a way that leads to self-respect. I'm going to bear with this. Bear with this in a way that I trust, I have faith that freedom from suffering is possible. That's why we bow to the Buddha. That's why we chant what we do to, in gratitude and respect for the Buddha because we trust that liberation from suffering is possible. We don't know when, but we trust that no pain is ultimate. No condition is ultimate. No situation is ultimate. We have that trust. We remind ourselves we have that trust. And that supports us in bearing with some of the terrible ordeals that we have to go through on this journey. So, whether it's starting off with cutting through the that doesn't work and then seeing through or and eventually ending up with burning through or starts with burning through. It's a kind of, it's, it's, sometimes with these really tricky conditions, it's a kind of cycling. You know, maybe we work with, we start off with burning through and get some sort of a relationship to the condition and and then we start to investigate it and we get a, handle on it until we think, oh right, I've been I've done with that, that's okay. And so from then on I said, okay, whenever it comes no, I'm be, I'm done with you. And maybe that works for a while. And then maybe it doesn't work anymore. And so then we've got to go back to seeing through again. Maybe we've got to go back to burning through again. Because as we've spoken about a number of times recently, the the multidimensional nature of awareness is we can perhaps integrate suffering on one level and as we get used to having integrated on that level and gotten used to that way of being then we soften, relax open up, deepen and come across it again at another level so we have to go through it again so my strong encouragement with regards to such suffering is to not approach it with any intention to get rid of it, rather with an intention to expand the field of awareness in a way whereby we can receive it and let it be there, let it teach us. So thank you very much this evening for your attention.